So this morning, as we as we get into First John, we'll be in First John chapter four, and I love uh, I love this part of the Word of God. You know, as we've talked before about the the uh, the apostles, uh, we can start with, of course, Paul and and Peter. We talked about John. They always admonish. The fact that in the end times, in fact, with a feverish pitch, that watch out. There are going to be not only false prophets, false teachers, uh, you know, but they're going to bring in heresies that that absolutely uh, try to undermine the word of God. You know, and as we've been studying through First John, I just wanted to mention the fact that. We've been born from above. John is writing to dear children or born ones, or dear tender born ones. We've been born from above. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, he says, we have the mind of Christ. So by this fact, we should want to do those things that please him. And that is one of the great understandings of a child of God versus a child which is either a mere professor or actually a child of the devil. Or, or following the dictates and course of this world, which, by the way, Satan is the prince of the power of the air. But we have the mind of Christ. Again, and by this very fact, we should want to do those things that please him. And we desire to bear much fruit so that our fathers glorify, as Jesus says in John 15. We've ended off last week by stating the fact that the fruit of the Spirit, which Paul says uh, talks about in, in Galatians chapter 5, which, listen to these, fruit of the Spirit in our life. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, or gentle, or excuse me, um, patience, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, goodness, faith, meekness, You know, I'm thinking of how God described Moses as meek. Self-control. He said, by their very nature, can only be carried out by the one who abides in the risen Christ. You know, some of these things might, you know, you might be able to, for a time, maybe do some of these on your own. I don't know about the love and joy and peace, but, you know, you can be, my father was a man of, of long patience with me. But you can never take the fruit of the Spirit, and it's like a multifaceted diamond that will constantly be bearing fruit in life, and that cannot be imitated. You know, it just can't. So the Bible talks about, you know, a definite attitude and a definite lifestyle that the Christian is to exhibit in his life. And it's not something that's by self-effort, it's something by abiding in Christ. And when we abide in Christ, Jesus said an amazing thing, and I want to start this morning with this. He said, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. If you continue in my word, Jesus put paramount on his word. He who hears these words of mine, and builds upon them, and and we talked about that earlier. It's very important. So as we we take that understanding, going into chapter 4, First John, let's read down for a little while and get back to our text. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, 
But test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because... He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God, they and we, they and we, a definite distinction. We are of God, he who knows God hears us, and he who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And then again, he goes right in chapter 7 talking about love. We'll read down in verse 10. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. As we read these verses and, and take the context of what John is saying in, in his letters, there are two major things here. That Jesus Christ came to be the satisfying sacrifice for our sins to cause us to be born from above. And by this very understanding, love is going to be operating in our life. And the spirit of Antichrist, which has been here since the first century and is growing ever more, the spirit of Antichrist denies that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. In other words, they deny that Jesus Christ was the Lord God Almighty sent to be a sacrifice the only sacrifice that pleased the Father. And that spirit has grown and will grow. It is leading up to the religion, if you will, of the Antichrist. But I think it's amazing to see do not believe every spirit. There are some people out there that are so gullible, they believe everything that comes down the road, as long as it's painted with a Christian veneer, so to speak. And then they wonder why they, 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 somebody they've listened to 35 or 40 years ago is not the same today. We don't trust in men. If God sends good teachers, that is wonderful. But we test and constantly test everything against the Word of God. Just because something was so 40 years ago does not mean it's going to be that way today. Unfortunately. But the Word of God never changes. How can we test the spirits? By the Word of God. That is the only way that we can test the spirits. I want to look at the first few passages uh, as we discuss these. And like I said, I'm, I'm excited because this is where the rubber meets the road in these end times for Christians. Remember, John is writing to 
Christians. He wants us to be mature. He wants us to grow. He wants us to grow in love for one another. He wants us to grow in Christian doctrine. He wants us to know Jesus Christ. He wants us to know the false from the, the good. And he wants us to be able to have that discernment that we need so desperately in these end times. So desperately. And like I've said before, that's what I loved about, about this fellowship is that we are most of us are in this this fight, we've been in this fight for a long time. Listen to this out of Revelation chapter 12. The war broke out in heaven. I'm in, in chapter 12, verse 7, if you want to follow along. If not, that's okay. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. That's the propitiating sacrifice that God accepted. Was They overcame by the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb is what causes us to be saved. What causes us to be sons and daughters of the Almighty. Satan knows this. He's accusing the brethren. Verse 11 again, chapter 12, real quick. They overcame him again by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives. To the death. Look at verse 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devils come to you, having great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. What John already says that we know this is the last hour. We know it's the last time. And why don't we know it's the last time? Because we see the great deception. We see the, 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 the church, not only in persecution, but we see the great falling away of this professing church. And he's telling us here not to believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone around the world. Many. Keep your finger there and just, just turn, if you will, to 2 Peter chapter 2. just want to kind of reiterate these things. 2 Peter chapter 2. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. And he's writing, remember, this is the second epistle. He's on his way. He told the people, he says, I must shortly put off this, my tabernacle, this, my body, you know, my body. I'll be killed shortly, as the Lord Jesus told me. I'm stirring up your precious way, uh, your minds, by re reminder. Even as there was false prophets back in, in old, the days of old, so to speak, the Old Testament, there's going to be false teachers among you. But listen, listen to what he has to say about that. 
who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. They will secretly do it. We're going to get into a passage of 2 Corinthians in a while, and we're going to see this happening and why it happens. So not only will there be false teachers, but they will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them. We're back in, in, in 1 John here, remember? The spirit of Antichrist is saying that they're denying that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And we read in, in Revelation 12. Why? Because they overcame them by the blood of the Lamb. That's the propitiatory or the satisfying sacrifice that the Father laid down. The only sacrifice that was pleasing to him. And how do we know that again? Not only the fact that he says so, but that he raised Christ from the dead. But, but this is interesting, Second Peter, because he says that they're not only going to secretly bring in these heresies, but they're going to deny the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. Look at verse 2. And many. I would imagine the, the, the apostle was probably weeping as he was writing this. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. Wow. Keep your finger again in 1 John. Please turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. We've talked about this verse before. This is, to me, one of the most uh, admit verses, if you will, to anybody that is extremely guarding of their fellowship or those that they love as Christians in general. Look at what he says, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit expressly says, that term expressly means not only urgent, but it, it, is, it is needful, it's, it's done with an urgent expectation that you need to listen. This is what's going to happen, Timothy. This is what is coming down. We are in a fierce battle. Now the Spirit himself expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Or if you read the King James, doctrines of devils. And look what it is. Just like Peter's admonition, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared as with the hot iron, and he goes on to describe some of these things. But the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith. And they're doing it by giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. There is an underlying attitude, an underlying precedent of this falsity that is going around in such a feverish pitch today in the Christian church, and Satan is behind it. And we are admonished, because greater is he who is in us and he who is in the world, to be a student in the Word of God and know the Word of God and allow the Word of God to get into you. I can't say that enough. Now what's the cause of all this? Deceiving spirits, doctrines of devils, doctrines of demons. The Word of God is, is absolutely stupendous. God never leaves us in the dark about anything. 
Again, keep your finger in 1 John. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I can see some of the smile on some of your faces now, probably. You know we're exactly where I'm going to. This is a wonderful chapter. This is a wonderful book, 2 Corinthians. Because if we look at the 3rd and 4th chapter, God, or Paul uh, describes the blessedness about the, the ministry. Our ministry is, 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 you know, the power of God. If you read the, the first chapters of 2 Corinthians and so forth. But if you read and you look into what he's saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we get more of an insight. Look at verse 13. Well, actually, let's go to verse 12. But what I do, I will also continue to do, that I not, might not may be cut off the opportunity of those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which we boast. Okay? The apostles and false apostles and so forth. Look at verse 13. For such are false apostles. An apostle, a biblical apostle in the New Testament sense was not only one that was sent, but one that saw the Lord Jesus, the risen Christ. The one that was personally ordained and sent by him as his witnesses to the risen Christ. He says, such are false apostles, verse 13, deceitful workers transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Look verse 14, and no wonder for Satan himself, Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Wow. That is an amazing statement. Well, you know, I... We don't, we don't need to say to the gentleman the other day, you know, I'm in Christ, all is good. We don't, we don't need to do that. We, you know, I'm in Christ, I don't have to worry about what's going on. I know where I'm going, and, you know. So why don't we just stick our head in the sand and, and not care about our loved ones and not be able to carry, you know, to, to correct somebody from going, it's going on an error or, you know, an Aaron Doctrine, let's just stick our head in the sand because we're all right. That's what the flower children did in the 60s. It didn't work, did it? But look, but I want to end talking about this, this section in, in, in verse 1 by the Lord Jesus Christ. We really want to get a, a clarification, if you will, of where the apostles explained doctrines. Look, look at the master himself. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 7. Again, keep your finger on First John. Matthew chapter 7. You know what's amazing uh, to me when they call it the Olivet Discourse, but what, whatever you know when when they were they were coming out of the temple and all this, and his disciples looked at all you know, Lord, look at these wonderful buildings, look at everything. He said something that must astonish them that, that uh, came to fruition uh, forty some odd years later, the destruction of the temple. But he said all these things will be destroyed. Or, and there won't be one stone left upon another. And I think that really caught their interest. And they asked him, hey, you know what? Uh, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? You know, reading in Luke's account, Luke's account is talking about the besieging of the, of the temple and so forth. But he says an amazing thing. In Matthew's account, when, what, what's going to be the sign of the end of the age of your coming? What has Jesus said? We were, remember, we read in uh, 
Revelation 12 and all of this in the world or in the word that the, the time is short. There's going to be deception everywhere. Satan's going to disguise himself with names of light. He knows his time is short. He's, he's indignant and so on and so forth. Jesus said the first thing. We all know this. Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am Christ. Wait a minute. What does that mean? Well, there has been many through the centuries that have literally claimed to be the Christ. But the Christ means the anointed one. There have been literally thousands upon thousands of men who have claimed to be anointed from God that have led people absolutely astray. Just like Jesus said. Many will come in my name and say, I am Christ and will deceive many. Look what he says in Matthew chapter 7. Let's start at verse 15. And this is right after in the first preceding two verses, he's talked about the narrow gate and the wide gate. The gate that leads to destruction, the gate that leads to life. A few of those are fine. And then he goes in, in verse 15 of chapter 7. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. Paul clarified that in not only Acts chapter 20, but he also clarified that what we just read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. They're going to come to you and they're going to look good and they're going to maybe even sound good, but inwardly, they aren't. They're going to be like that great, I love baked potatoes. I heard this explained one time. They're going to come to you looking at like a great nice, good baked potato with the skin of the truth stuffed full of lies. You know? Watch out for these. They're going to be look like sheep. They're going to look like, you know, a sheep was, was innocent, harmless, you know? Boy, inside, look out. They're going to be ravenous wolves. He said, you will know them by their fruits. Back in First John now. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. He says, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, neither can a bad tree bear good fruit. He says, you will know them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. I'll tell you, the will of the Father, we see it all through the Word of God, is, is believing in Him and Him that has sent. Believing in the only sacrifice that God will accept for my sinful, lost condition and life with Him. The Gospel has not gone away. The Gospel has not changed. The Gospel is the same today as it was from eons past. Paul says explicitly, that the gospel is this, that Jesus Christ died for my sins according to the scripture. He was buried and he rose three days later according to the scripture. By this we stand, by this we are saved, period. It has not changed, it has never changed, it never will change. In fact, in Ephesians, Paul says that because of this Glorious, eternal fact, we in the ages to come will be a showcase of the grace and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And how his wonderful sacrifice had the power and the majesty to save the unsavable. There was no other way we could be saved other than the fact that Christ dying for our sins and God raising him from the dead. And we will be that showcase for all eternity of the mercy and the grace of God. And the spirit of Antichrist is coming and is not already here. And they're denying that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. They're denying that this is that this is taking place. And Jesus said to beware of false prophets. Beware of them. Who come to you in sheep's clothing again, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. It would almost be like, you know, if we if we were walking along the street one day, at, you know, in the evening with our wife and a, and a dog comes out, a vicious dog, and he goes to attack our wife and we just allow it to happen. We just allow it to happen, right? No, we won't. I will get between my wife and that ravenous dog. And that dog may eat me or try to eat me, but it's not going to get my precious wife. And that's exactly the spirit here of love and of knowledge and of being strong men and women of God and knowing the difference. Many false prophets back in 1 John 4.1. Many have gone out in the world. You know that the spiritual deception... Uh, Caused the fall of man, and it's going to be the uh, the crowning influence in the end times. And we're right in the middle of it. You know, you used to be able to go to a Christian bookstore and buy and buy halfway safe material. Uh, whether it's by somebody you've known from years past or maybe even the publishing house, it's not that way anymore. Not that way anymore. We were talking about earlier in the break, the, the book, The Shack. I don't have time here to tell you the destructiveness of that material alone. I don't have the time to tell you about the purpose-driven life, the destruction of that alone, which is, is the biggest-selling book on the market today, written by a man who is or ecumenical, excuse me, teaching false things, te being buddy-buddy with, with different religions, being tolerant of things, being ecumenical. It is happening today, and Christians don't even realize it. Christians don't even understand Well, I know the devil knows how to get to people through emotion. Yes, we're emotional creatures. But we don't rely on our emotions. We don't trust our emotions. Emotions are a byproduct. Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. Jesus was a man of emotion. Nothing wrong with emotion. But it's one emotion leads astray to false doctrine and, and, and a false lifestyle. Something is wrong. You know, the Bible says in a couple different places that we're to lead our heart. We're to guide our heart. We're not to follow it. The 
Bible never once says to follow your heart, yet you'll see more and more and more on these Christian movies and these new Christian books, and these, you know, follow your heart, you know. You, you, love, you love Jesus, just follow your heart. No, we guide our heart. We lead our heart, you know. There are many spirits out there. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. Verse 2, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Wow. Every spirit. You know, Paul, I, I just like to quote these things um, because they are so powerful. We all know that one of the famous uh, words of Paul when, he, when he's right in the middle of Chapters 9, 10, and 11 about Israel and everything. He says this. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. And believe in your heart that God had raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, believe every spirit. The spirit of Christ will always point to Christ. Jesus says in John chapter 15 that he will testify of him. So many churches now, so many spirits have gone out now that, that, that the whole emphasis is on spiritual gifts and, and the, the, the falling down and the laughter movement and all these things, you know, this, that is not biblical. The spirit does not come to testify of himself. The spirit comes to testify of the Lord Jesus Christ. He comes in the world to convict the world of sin because Christ goes to the Father. He convicts the world of righteousness because the world does not believe in him. He convicts the world of judgment because the judge of, or the judgment has fallen on this world and the prince of the power of the air has been judged. And yet we see the spirit today pervading the church, pervading people, and it's like, wow, the signs and wonders movement. You know, we have Rodney Howard Brown of the 90s making a comeback, by the way. He used to call himself the holy uh, laughter bartender. And, and the signs and the manifestations, and he's taken the, the church by storm, especially some of the vineyard churches and so forth, about signs and wonders, and, and we will exhibit laughing and exhibit uncontrolled behavior, and just on and on. Is that the Bible? No. The Spirit comes to testify of Jesus Christ. How were you and I born again? I'll tell you how we were born again. The Spirit convicted you of sin. And when you were convicted of sin, you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of God that Jesus hung on a cross to take your sin and your punishment. And by believing in him, you have forgiveness of sins. And how do I know that? God raised him from the dead. That's how you believe. God says, I am satisfied with my son and I raised him from the dead. That's the job and that's the wonderfulness of the Holy Spirit. When we go down and we speak to people about Christ, we're filled with the Spirit, and the Spirit speaks through us. 
But yet the spirit of this age says, no, nah, you know, we want hoopla. Church is boring. I, I told you that with, back in the, uh, well, he died in 63, so probably was in the 40s or 50s somewhere. A.W. Tozer said that it's very hard to get people to God or come to church when only God is the main attraction. He said that back then. Think about that. Spiritless age is prevailing everywhere. He says in verse 3, And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. Point blank. Oh, there's many ways to God. You know? Jesus, he's a good example. He's a good teacher. You know, in 1983... Or excuse me, 1993, there was an issue of Life magazine. And I, I talked about this before, and on the front cover of Life magazine, I had a picture of Jesus said, who was he? Life magazine back then was still pretty big. It was really popular during the 50s, 60s, and 70s. But this big, big magazine, who was he? You look at this article, and there was all different kinds of philosophies, all different kinds of reasons of who he was. But you know, in that article, there was not one solid reasoning from the scripture of who he was. God in human flesh come to die for the sins of the world. He did not come to be a good teacher, although he was. He did not good come to teach us morality, although he did. He came for one purpose and one purpose only, to save you and I from our sins. That's it. That's why he came. That is getting narrower and narrower and narrower and narrower and narrower and narrower as time goes on. And the pervading influence of the world today will say, well, you know, you're just a little bit narrow-minded. That people tell me that. You're a little bit narrow-minded. Well, you know what? If I'm narrow-minded, Christ is narrow-minded. Thank you for the compliment. Because there is one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. There are two roads in life, but there is only one road that leads to life, and that's the narrow road, and he is it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes unto the Father but by me. And Satan and his minions hate that, and, and uh, that is a, a dividing influence today. And if you don't think that's so, I would, I would recommend you get out more and, and rub shoulders with the unsaved world, and you find out real quick. But that's too narrow. You're too narrow-minded. You certainly can't believe that. But everybody wants to get to heaven. Every spirit, again, that does not confess that Jesus Christ, verse 3, has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming. And is now already in the world. Notice in this in the in the language in here, it's not the Antichrist as he was writing that was already in the world. It is the spirit that is paving his way. God says in 2 Thessalonians that there's going to be such a he's going to send it that deluding influence that people would believe the lie. It is going to be so deceptive that generations to come, if the Lord should tarry, God help them. And if you really want to go back to it all, that's why we have to go back to what Paul admonishes in Ephesians 4 about pastors, teachers, evangelists. We need to be men of God and equip this generation with the Word of God. And don't settle for anything less. 
I don't care what you think about me. I care what you believe about the Word of God. Because that's what it lives and abides forever. There is an Antichrist coming. And the spirit of Antichrist is rampant in the world. And God is telling His children of what is out there. You know, I remember I, I told this story sometimes back and I had, a, had an individual who's no longer here come up to me and said, wow, that, that was kind of a, uh, an interesting story, but it was a true story. Uh, back in the early 60s, my dad was laying cable in the, uh, uh, in I can't remember, the Santa Ana Valley or somewhere in Southern California. And anyway, back then it was a very undeveloped area and there was rattlesnakes everywhere out there, you know. And... When they contracted laying this cable, they were told, you know, we're just going to warn you that, you know, this place is infested with, with rattlesnakes and stuff like that, and it was, you know. Well, they went out there, and they obviously were equipped to do it. That is what God is doing here in, in some sort of degree, that there is rattlesnakes all over the place, and I'm warning you, little children, they're there. And they're going to try to, to steal what they can. And they're going to try to infect your home. They're going to try to infect your children. They're going to try to infect those that sit under you. In fact, they're going to try to infect you. And to be an effective minister and ambassador for Jesus Christ, we need to realize that we're not only in the battle, but that Satan knows that his time is short um, and deception is everywhere. I love that story, by the way. I don't do the justice. My dad, if he was here, could do a better job. But I was interested because I always, you know, I've always, you know, hated snakes, you know, and I, and I remember when he first told us that, and, and he was he was going through that. I think it was in the Santa Ana Valley, anyway. And uh, so interesting, rattlesnakes. Hmm. That's what we're dealing with here: snakes, people that would steal, kill, and destroy. Spirits, doctrines of demons. You know what? Let me tell you something. You don't really have to believe that way. You don't really have to to lose your influence. You know, you can you can you can have your little sins and do this too. You don't have to believe that. Do you really believe that one man, two thousand years ago, one man could die for the sins of the world? What was wrong with that, just that statement? He wasn't one man that died for the sins of the world. He was God's lamb before the foundation of the world that came to die for the sins of the world. He was born of a virgin, which is made, which horrendously attacked today. We have people in, in uh, Westcott and Hort, for example. Did you know they, were, they, they dabbled in spiritism? They were evolutionists. And I'm not saying anything. What I am saying is the people that, that influenced a lot of these modern thinkings were evolutionists. They, were, they dabbled in spiritism. Some don't actually believe in the literal resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some don't believe in, in the actual virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And yet we hail these people as great scholars. This spirit of Antichrist was in this world long before you and I were. 
you know, like I said, I, I became a Christian in the very early 80s. And I, uh, and just since that time, I have seen so many things shift. So many different waves of, of new thinking and new, and new, you know, doctrines and new revelations and new parts of the church I would have never thought would, was, would happen. Some of you that have been Christians a lot longer than I have, if you have, have known and seen things, things that used to be solid are no more today like that. And the bride of Jesus Christ, his remnant, are going to stand. He did say that he's going to build his church upon this rock, upon the rock of Jesus Christ, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But what is the church? It's his body. It's his remnant. It is those that have received him as Lord and Savior and follow him. You know, I think they're one and the same, personally. You know, we're not here splitting hairs on, on who's, you know, this and who's that. But the Bible only talks about one form of Christian. That's a biblical Christian. That's a Christian that's born from above. Where are the men out there that are going to be, that are going to teach that there is an enemy out there that wants to stunt growth? Speak lies. Look at verse 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. What do we read in in Chapter 12 of Revelation. They overcame them by the blood of the Lamb. You know why I'm saved? I'll tell you why I'm saved. You know, Donald Gray Barnhouse had that huge thing. In fact, James D. Kennedy is what brought him, helped bring him to Christ. He would always say, if you were to die today, you're what men call dead. You die today, and you're standing before God, and God says, why should I allow you into my heaven? Think about that. What would you say? Do you know Why? I know why, and we all know why. And it's not the spirit of this age, because they'll tell you so many different things. You know, as Pam and I were really talking about, well, yeah, I can, you know, if I was a Catholic, I'm a good Catholic. I believe in the Pope, I do the penance, I say the rosaries, I do this, I do that. The only reason why I am saved is because Christ Jesus died on a cross in payment for my sin. And he was forsaken on that cross for my sin. And he suffered and he bled and he died, the innocent for the uninnocent, the righteous for the unrighteous, the just for the absolute unjust, me. And three days later, God said, I approve of that sacrifice by raising him from the dead. And my be believing that I am forgiven and have the gift of eternal life. Anything apart from that, the spirit of Antichrist is prevalent with all kinds of deceptive lies. So we read again in verse 4 that you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, I'm all done. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You know, John writes in his second letter in uh, verse 7, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ's coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You know, people say, you know, I've heard the question so many times, you know, can a Christian be possessed? Absolutely not. I'm just going to say that. When you are a, a 
a born-again Christian, you are his uh, possession, you are his tabernacle. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I am saved by his life. I am saved from the wrath of God by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, Romans chapter 5, but I am saved eternally because Jesus Christ is alive from the dead. God raised him from the dead. He's seated at the right hand of the Father for me, for you. He's in the presence of God for us. He's coming back for you and for me, not for the unsaved. And like I was saying on a Monday night, but just for a side note, thank you for bearing with me a little bit. This is interesting. I love the Word of God. It's, uh, <laughs> you take Rome, you know, like Tommy Ice used to say, where do you want to talk about the, you know, the, the coming back of Jesus Christ for his own? He says, well, I love Tommy Ice, by the way. He says, well, let's start where, where it was first mentioned, where Jesus said in the Ephraim Discourse in John chapter 14. Listen to these first three verses. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, also believe in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go and prepare a place for you. Verse 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, that where you may be also. You take those three verses and you compare them side by side with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through, through 18 or actually 15 through 18, if you really want to look at it, you put them side by side, and you see perfectly the precedent of the Word of God, where Jesus says, I have many things to say to you, but you're not yet able to bear them. But the Spirit, whom I will send in the Father's name, He will bring to remembrance all things, and will teach you and lead you in all truth. And you put those two passages side by side, and you see exactly Paul is expounding to the church that Jesus Christ is coming back to gather His church unto Himself. Folks, we've got to get back into the Bible. We, you know, uh, there is a barrage of spiritual warfare out there. And it is ready to devour those that are weak. You know, in the animal world, I've seen this one. I used to dive a lot. We, we uh, spent quite a bit of time in the Caribbean. And, and this is true in the animal world. It's true. You know, predators go out and they'll... Most things that, like if a gazelle or, or, or whatever, you would be chasing a bunch of zebras, there's safety in numbers. You know, they'd be in the pack, and you'd be strong. But if one would be would be a little bit sick, or one would be weaker, or whatever, stray, what have you, that's where they would go after. And we've seen it many times. I remember one time we were diving on the coast of Cozumel, and we went through these... Uh, this, uh, this bunch of barracudas, and they were looking at the school of... of uh, they call them silverfish. I don't know exactly what they were, probably eight, nine-inch fish, and there were millions of them in a pack. And it was it was fascinating. We were sitting on this reef watching these barracudas that we were looking at, and these things would, would turn, you know, and they'd all stay in the same uh, grouping to, you know, ward off these, these defenders because they were confused. They didn't know which one. But once in a while, one of these silverfish would get out of that pattern, and guess where that barracuda would go? Wham! And it's, that is a spiritual precedent of what's happening today. We see the weak, the infallible, the people that aren't are enmeshed in the Word of God. And God is warning us, beloved, believe not every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they're from God. Greater is he who is in you than he is in the world. Praise the Lord. Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you 
comfortless. Or I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You know. He's not going to just say, okay, here you go. That's why they were troubled. They were, they were troubled. Jesus said, you're going to be troubled, yet the world is going to rejoice. You're going to lament. But as I live, you will live also. And there's a double precedent there. Yes, they were going to see him again, and they were going to rejoice. You know, when, when at the end of John, you know, when they were fishing, they said, that's the Lord, you know. And Peter jumps out, and yeah, they're going to see him again, absolutely. But he's also referring to the Spirit. As I live, you will live also. I will send the Spirit, and I will not leave you comfortless. In other words, I will not leave you orphans, I believe the King James says, which is awesome. He's not going to leave you alone. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe God, believe also in me. You know, and, and as the Spirit comes down and it dwells us, you know, this verse is wonderful. You are of God, little children. You've overcome them. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That is so comforting. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be intimidated. I don't have to bow down. I don't have to be afraid of the darkness because I'm not in darkness anymore. Man. We'll end, end here. Uh, verse 5. They were the world, therefore they speak as of the world. The world hears them. You know, Jesus said, they listen to me and receive my words, they'll receive your words as well. But if they don't receive your words and they persecute you, remember they're persecuting me because they have not known me nor my Father. They hated me without a cause. They hate me. They hate my father as well. This is the this is the what we're living in now. We're living in a world that's that's got the spirit of antichrist that is getting worse and worse. They hate Christ. They hate the Father. And what better way to do? That's how a lot of pedophiles, or not pedophile pedophiles too, but uh, get into. Uh, you know, a little, little girl, a little boy might, you know, your mommy sent me to pick you up after school, you know. Um, there's, you know, she's had something to do or whatever, and, and they asked me to pick you up. I remember when we were in school, I think I was in about the second, third grade, we had a guy going around and called himself the clown. And what he would do is he, we lived in Southern California, dressed up as this clown, he had all his candy, and that's how he would lure kids you know, deception. Jesus isn't that way. But when they know neither him nor the Father, the world hears these doctrines of demons, these evil spirits. It says, verse 6, We are of God, and he who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The spirit of truth says that Jesus Christ has come. That the way of salvation has been made plain. That at just the right time, the scripture says, Christ died for the ungodly. That even though someone might die for, dare die for a good man, but this is truth and this is love, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And those that receive the gift of forgiveness and eternal life will live forever. That's the problem of this world. Men need 
their sins forgiven. They need forgiveness of sins. Just as I wouldn't let anybody in my house, but through the front door of my choice, Jesus says, I am the door. He who enters in by me will be saved. There is only one way into God's house, and that's Jesus Christ. There's only one sacrifice that God will accept. I don't care how good a life you've lived. I don't care what you've done. If you do not come to the Father through Christ, you are lost. One sacrifice, one way to the Father, and that's because of Christ. The devil does not want people coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we come to him by admitting that we're guilty lost sinners that our only hope of salvation is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And Father, I I thank you for this time in the Word. Lord, I just ask that if there are those out there that are listening, they know that you're speaking and that they know they need the Savior. And by coming and acknowledging their sin and turning to Christ who took the punishment for the sin on the cross. Three days later, he rose bodily from the dead and he ascended to the Father as showing that God is satisfied with Christ dying in our place, and by putting our trust in Him, we have not only the forgiveness of sins, but the gift of eternal life. This is the gospel. This is the Bible. This is the good news. And I pray that we would stand upon that against the wiles of the devil. Father, I thank you for this morning. I love you, and ask that you would watch over us as we go, and that we'd have joy unspeakable. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the last years, you know, proving, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt that not only is God's word, his word, but it works. You know? When the, when when God was giving instructions for the people, so to speak, to go into the land and, you know, if you do this, this, and this, it will go well for you. God was saying, I know what's best for you. I know what's going to work. I know what's going to make your life flourish. I know what's going to rejoice your heart. I am out to give you nothing but a land flowing with milk and honey, so to speak. Prosperity of soul, joy. You ask anything, Jesus said in my name, and my Father will do it, that he might be glorified. God loves to bless his children, and therefore he knows what we need. He knows what we uh, what works and what doesn't work, we don't. And a bent, evil nature wants to go for those ones that don't work. For whatever reason. I guess that's the deceitfulness of sin. So as we look at, at the, you know, God, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not do this, you do this. You read the Deuteronomy, you know. You look at Deuteronomy 28, for example. You know, you, you do these things and it's going to go well with you. You don't do these things and look out. And by the way, if you really look at that chapter, it's a longer read of the ones that don't. If you don't do this, this is what's going to happen. God is amply warning that he is the one that's life. He is the one that has the words 
that are going to uh, cause you to flourish. Look at Psalm chapter 1, about the two ways, the two destinies, you know, the tree planted by the waters. Look at Jeremiah 17, the same thing, about the tree planted, and the roots go out, and, and it bears leaves, and it, even in drought, it will be fruitful. God knows what will work and what doesn't work. <coughs> and he's provided it. Are we going to search for it and make it a part of our, our uh, uh, well, you know, it's like gee, people, I was talking to a gentleman one day and he says, well, you know, yeah, I, you know, God's a part of my life, you know, yeah, he's a, he's a part of my life, Jesus is a part of my life, you know, without, you know, without judging anything, you know, a lot of people think that, well, Jesus is a part of my life, but the Bible says that Jesus is not a part of your life, he is your life, okay, so, uh, how do we adjust that thinking? By the word of God. If you seek for it as silver, you search for it as hid treasure, then you will understand. Then you will understand the ways of God and his word. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the encouragement and I and pray it would be an encouragement and a challenge for not only us as we as we just carry on and we go out, but those that are listening to this message would realize that we have an enemy out there that his chief end is to still kill and destroy. He wants to keep us out of that wonderful heritage that we have in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that if we have influence over grandchildren, children, what have you, Lord, that we would take this message to heart. That those of us that have been yours for a while, sometimes take it for granted that the word is there and, and we might know that it's your word and we might be in it every day. But there, there are spirits, doctrines of demons and devils out there, Lord, that are stealing the hearts of our young kids, the hearts of our people that sit in churches all across this land. They're robbing the vitality of a vibrant Christian life because the word of God has taken somehow backseat to walking with you and knowing you. And I thank you for this morning. I pray that the encouragement would run deep, that we would grow from, from this word. Father, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We are the recipient of it, and I thank you for that. And Lord, we look for you coming back, you return. And I pray that you would knit our hearts here, not only at the foundation of life, but, but the ones that we associate with and our brethren, that you would knit our hearts together in love, that all men might know that we are your disciples. Thank you, Father, for you. But that inestimable gift in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Praise the resurrection to life. And those uh, in Adam will go to perdition and they will be resurrected, but a resurrection to damnation. You know, like we see, for example, the false prophet and, and uh, in the Antichrist or, or in 
you know, thrown in the lake of fire a thousand years after the millennium passes where Satan's thrown in the lake of fire. The Bible says the false prophet and the Antichrist are still there. In other words, not consumed. So there's going to be a resurrection, but, but ours is glorious in Christ. It is, it is diametrically opposed to the Bible itself to be in Christ and yet lead a life of um, even the slightest bit of debauchery. Are we going to sin? Yes. But, what, but that's the beauty of it. Schofield has a wonderful illustration of this, the best I've ever seen. And those of you who have read the Schofield Bible know this, and, and uh, it is just absolutely wonderful. It has clarified millions of understanding of this. He's describing a man who's been born again that as he goes to the Oriental bathhouse, and says he takes a bath, he's cleansed from all unrighteousness, and yet when he's walking back to the house, his feet will acquire defilement, and thus wash his feet. But he himself is clean from all that the law could say or accuse him. And it's beautiful, because that's what we are. And when we have defilement, we confess our sins to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's wise and just, because he took the condemnation himself. He fulfilled every bit of the law for you and I. And he also took the condemnation and the judgment for the breaking of that law for you and I. So he's just. Listen to these words. If we confess our sins, our defilement, he is faithful and just, forgives our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Wow. Keep on sinning. Wow. We can't because we've been born of God. Nor do you need to. You know? That's what separates biblical Christianity from all the other religions in the world. And I only say religion as far as Christianity is just by means of comparison. By no means is the Bible taught favorably without religion. Religion is always the outward show. We as baptism and one baptized in the body, we show the world what has already happened and taken place on the inside. That's the meaning of baptism. So when you go baptize in the river wherever you get, you show the world. When I was baptized in Corleone Bay in North Lake Tahoe, I was signifying to the world and to my parents Something has happened to me. I believe this gospel. I believe this word of God. My sins have been, I've been forgiven. That Jesus Christ is now my Lord. I'm not my Lord anymore. I walked to a different drumbeat, and that's to him. And I've never looked back. And I'm thankful I haven't. Because Paul says that, you know, you can run a race. And if you run it in such a way, there's a, there's a reward, and there's a crown waiting for you. And I want that crown, and I want that reward. I want to see my Lord. I'm expecting to see him. I want to see him. I can't wait to see him. Because I know that when I see him, I will be with him forever. And I just want to end these verses, probably for my own sake. Because right now, folks, I think that is a time for comfort. I think that, you know, you can read these verses and you can look at sin so much you can tend to get, uh, feel like you've getting pummeled with things. And it's not the fact that we pummel because somebody's life might not be as righteous as mine. But we admonish these things so that we might see that the Lord desires that we have nothing in the way of Him. You know? 
we even say it in our wedding vows, you forsake all others, you know. And I remember talking, you know, we did Jen and Joe's wedding, you know, you are you willing to forsake all others? Okay. What does that mean? Well, there's not too many. There's there are people out there, but there, most people don't actually commit the physical adultery maybe on their wife, but they sure do in so many other ways. And if that's true in the physical realm of of relationships down here, well, it's more it's more uh, abundant with our Christian life. There are so many things. The devil and everything is clamoring for our attention. The flesh wears its ugly head when you don't think it will. The moment you think you've got everything under control, here it comes. Look out. The moment you think you've been having a pretty good day, man, and you've talked to a couple people about Christ, one might have given his life for Christ, and you're relishing in the, in the glow of it, watch out. You know, let's make up our mind now. So when it comes, you're dealing with it. I am my beloved's, and my beloved's mine. That's, that's my wife and I's verse out of uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 7. But listen to this. I'll leave you with the, with the first six verses of, of the discourse in John 14. It says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Wow. In my Father's house are many mansions or many rooms or dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. He's going and preparing a place for you, for me, individually. You know, as a corporate part of his body, he loves you. He's going to tailor this for you. I believe this with all my heart because my God's like that. He loves us individually. He's tailoring a place for you, exactly what you want. You know, people down here, they want to find the perfect house. And, you know, I mean, we've been selling our house for almost a year now. I know. I mean, for all kinds of things. Oh, you know, it's great, but we want this. Oh, it's great. He is tailoring something, I believe, with all my heart, that is going to just dazzle us for eternity. I can't wait to see that. He loves you. And, and we flirt with sin? In my father's house, or again, are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That's the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants you with him. And we're gonna we're gonna forsake that and sin? We're gonna forsake that and, and entertain. Uh, pride and, and, and everything else? Is it tough? Hey, did anybody say the Christian life was going to be easy? Paul says, I die daily. So he's going to go prepare this fantastic place. You know, I don't have to worry about, well, hey, you know, is it going to be something I want? It will be exactly what I was designed to love and to dwell in, because that's who God is. And if I go and prepare a place for you again, he says, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And you know, and where I, I go, you know, the way you know. Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where the way you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus takes it from the material to the spiritual. Life. Life is not this. 
Life is Him. We don't know where you're going to go. Leave us a map or something. You know, let us know. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. Wow. Lord, um, the Lord has shown me the last, well, when I really understood where we're going, and the time is short for, for us here, but I love you guys, and that's my heart. That's the heart of the Lord, and I, I, I would be you know, I used to tell my sons, if you don't tell somebody the truth, you're not really being a truthful friend to them. And there's so much more to this life than just what meets the eye. You know, they say that those that are suffer great loss, suffer problems in their life. I mean, uh, we've all had tragedy, death, uh, whatever. That those who, who, who stick to the Lord and allow Him to take them through them find an intimacy with Him that most people don't. But we also understand the Bible talks about those that give up their life, that give up what they, they don't need, and they grab what they cannot afford to lose. There's an intimacy and a joy there that the Bible talks about that few nowadays know about, few as far as the masses go. And that's what we want. Father, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for the word. And Lord, but I, I thank you for the Lord of the word. It so eloquently points to who you are and your character. Father, I pray that if there are those listening that have not surrendered everything, intellect, pride, um, whatever to you, that they would do it. Because it, nobody needs to be taught. It's the Spirit that teaches us to abide in Christ. I pray that would be their lot, because what is it worth if man gains a whole world and that loses? What is it gain? If we have 20 more days left and we, we live it half-heartedly, I pray that we would... We would we would consider and accept nothing less than excellency. Nothing less than the Word of God operating in our life. Again, I thank you for this day, and I pray that you would go with us as we go, and give us joy that our joy might be full. Father, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.